Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Yes, we are recording. And I don't sound like myself. I've got the husky radio voice going on today. I always wanted one of these. It's not COVID. Make sure people know. No, it's not. No, no, it's just a cold. And I've been thoroughly isolated in my little um, Northwest Woods abode and staying away from everybody, even my husband, who has not yet caught it either. But I'm on the I'm on the men. Believe it or not, I sound really bad, but um, it's actually I'm actually way, way better. So there's cold season going out. All you have to do is turn on the news and you'll see they're advertising cold medication. Not ivermectin, but, you know, the regular stuff like NyQuil, stuff like that, which works really well. Um, so um, everyone good today other than me? Yeah, doing good. Driving. So I'm sorry, my audio is not great. Do you know what um, Brendan taught me a trick that if you um, if you actually get rid of your video, you have better bandwidth for your audio. So if I go to video, I mean, if, if I take my video off, you'll know why if I start getting a little dicey, but not that we don't want to see your pretty face. So. <laughs> All right, everyone. Um, so once again, with us is Bill Sutton. Hiya, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And driving while she podcast, DWP, is um, Catherine G. Manu, a.k.a. Georgie. Hey, Georgie. Hey, Emma, this is Georgie. I am the publisher of the Express News Group. And where exactly are you right now? I am in Watermel. <laughs> is it just like we left it? it, it it's pouring rain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Well, there you go. All right, pouring rain in Watermel. Up to the date weather information, even though this will be airing a week after it rained. Um, also with us is Joe Shaw. Hey, Joe. Hey, Annette. Sorry, you're not feeling good. Uh, it's Joe Shaw. I'm executive editor of the Express News Group. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is Michael Wright. And Mike is a senior reporter who also looks like he may be in his car. Um, I'm in a car, too. Sorry. <laughs> I'm parked, though, so. It's drive time. Um, so... I feel like I should go out now. I know. It's like silly me. I've just been quarantining here for the last several days. Um, so what we're talking about today is, um, is, is a story that Mike wrote about this, um, um, I guess it was the issue of September 23rd. And this has to do with the East Hampton Airport, which of course has been a long standing story in our community in that it's become a more and more popular airport. Um, as more and more people have figured out how to afford um, helicopter ride shares or um, uh, other services that ferry people out from the city. So it went from being a very small regional airport that primarily serviced small pilot prop planes to becoming more of a hub where you have a lot of helicopter and jet traffic. And that's kind of uh, become a bane of the existence of anyone that lives in the flight path, which is pretty much uh, most of Southampton town, some of the North Fork and um, a bit of East Hampton. So recently there's been some workshops discussed um, what might be done about 
remediating some of the noise. So on September 25th, we passed a pretty significant milestone in terms of regulating the airport, right, Mike? Yes, it'll have been 20 years since the town last accepted um, grant funding from the Federal Aviation Administration, um, which comes with strings attached to it that required that basically they keep the airport open. Um, you know, they said, we'll give you this. I don't remember how much the last grant was, but over the years, they took several million dollars from the FAA for, uh, you know, repaving runways and, and, and various uh, maintenance, you know, large maintenance projects. Um, and since then, they stopped doing that. And so when that grant assurance expired on the 25th, the town now has the freedom to basically do whatever they want with the airport. Now, that doesn't mean that they can just start imposing their rules uh, that they tried to adopt a few years ago. Really, what they can do is they can close it. And so they are in a conversation now or have been in a conversation for quite a while about whether or not to close the airport. And, uh, you know, there's some there's some options there. They've, they've been advised that, you know, they can close the airport temporarily, uh, which one, uh, one of the aviation uh, uh, supporters said recently during one of these meetings that, that they don't ever even necessarily have to close it to do that. They can sort of just declare that they're going to close it, talk with the FAA, and at some point it'll just be considered a new airport, um, reopened under, under new uh, pretenses that would allow them to say, you know, this is no longer East Hampton Airport that was built you know, decades and decades ago, and for, well, you know, it was created by uh, wealthy New York City business people who wanted to be able to fly to the Hamptons, and, uh, you know, it was, you know, we got to be careful, so, and that the last time we did a podcast, you introduced the airport issue the same exact way, and several of the airport supporters flipped out, because, you know, the airport has not been getting more popular, and it didn't used to be a a tiny, quiet little airport. It used to have twice as many flights, and it's always been about rich people commuting from the city. That said, obviously what has changed is that now there are commuter helicopter flights, and helicopters are really what it's, uh, what it's all about. Yes, people are screaming about jets and, uh, and seaplanes now also, but really the helicopters are what uh, as what has made everybody so hypersensitive to the uh, to the issue. How are you going to do it? So East Hampton Airport has gotten more popular recently <laughs> with the use of helicopters, which is more helicopter flights mm -hmm. than ever before every year. So it's really so it's really the helicopters that have sort of elevated this issue to one yes. of very great concern, right? Right. That that have, that have really caused the you know the noise impacts in the neighborhoods. Um, in uh, Doyak, Sag Harbor, and Wainscott primarily, um, and some in Sagaponic for a long time. And, and listen, you know, there were there were people that were um, uh, opposed to the airport and and a whole debate over the noise at the airport long before the helicopter traffic went through the roof. People that lived right under the flight paths at the end of the runways, where even small planes flying over their houses. You know, rattled them and, and bothered them, but it's it's gone. Uh, you know, the number of complaints, the number of people 
impacted by the noise has gone through the roof with the helicopters because the helicopters come are less like planes you know they're not they're not as constricted to uh specific paths so they, they sort of wander a little bit more the the aviation groups have tried reining that in and have done a pretty good job but um you know that's that's just led to claims that they're uh, uh bright lining some neighborhoods because uh, now every helicopter flies over the same houses and so that you know it's just made things worse in some regards and better in others but so the town is the town has this this ability to close the airport and they're trying to go about it in a reasoned and uh uh and well um discussed way and so they've started this process which most recently um has taken on a uh, a public forum that is going they had four of them you know originally two were supposed to be in person in the neighborhoods that are uh, seen as the most uh, the most impacted, and that's Wainscott and Montauk. And Montauk has really become uh, the focus of the whether or not to close the airport uh, uh, discussion. The concern being that all these helicopters that are taking off and landing in East Hampton are now going to go to the Montauk airport. Right. Well, and, that, and so that's the so that's the big question. And what, and what has happened, um, you, you know, most recently is that they've done these diversion studies. Uh, the town did one and the East Hampton Community Alliance, which is a which is a group of uh, airplane owners and pilots basically that formed this community group and are spending a lot of money on uh, publicity and studies. They did an economic study to counter the town's uh, economic study, trying to show how much the airport is uh, worth, you know, to the community. But uh, most recently, they did these uh, diversion studies that that look at, so if you close East Hampton Airport, or if you restrict the type of air traffic that can go in there, where is the air traffic that's coming there now going to go? And, um, you know, that, that's not an easy, that's not an easy answer. Um, you know, the, the studies tried to look at, um, uh, the, you know, the patterns of where people are flying now, where they're headed when they fly into East Hampton Airport, um, you know, the types of flights that they are, the types of planes that they are, which is a big deal, because basically you have, uh, you know, there's a lot of funny little options, but the, really the main three options are Gabreski Airport, West Hampton, Montauk Airport, and the helipad in Southampton Village on Meadow Lane, which is literally just a helipad. They all have their, you know, their limitations. Well, listen, Gabreski does. Gabreski can take every flight from East Hampton Airport, all 30,000 operations a year could just move to Gabreski Airport, probably within reason. There, there might be some limitations there, um, but they can take the big jets. They can, you know, obviously helicopters can go there, but it's in West Hampton. And if you're heading to uh, East Hampton, like 60% of the traffic that lands at East Hampton Airport is, um, you know, it's a long way. So you still got, you still might have an hour and a half drive uh, on a on a Friday afternoon in the in the summertime. Not to mention, you open up a whole another Pandora's box where there are neighbors in West Hampton who, over the last couple of years, have noticed an increase in air traffic already and have started to to complain, um, you know, about air traffic there. You put 30,000 extra flights there and, 
and those neighbors are going to be just as upset as the neighbors of the East Hampton. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially since a lot of them would presumably be helicopters, if that, you know, and, and there's a lot of unknowns there because you would have to assume that that business is going to continue, which I don't think anybody thinks it would if you, you know, a helicopter flight from the from the East River to West Hampton and then, a, you know, an hour in an Uber or a, a, a TNLC car, you know, it's not going to be as attractive to people who, you know, have a house in Northwest Woods or, uh, or Sagaponic or something like that, you know, and they can fly to within five minutes of their house. It's going to change the, it's going to change the calculation. And, um, and, and so this, you know, and the same goes for, for Montauk. So Montauk's been the big issue. Um, you know, some of the, some of the Montauk people who have, who have really been the, the loudest about this, um, have basically screamed that all 30,000 flights from East Hampton Airport uh, are, are going to come to Montauk, which of course is impossible. Um, basically, no jets can land there. Some small ones could land there um, because they only have a 3,000 foot runway. So, so jets are basically eliminated. Um, most of the small plane traffic couldn't go there while they could land there if if they wanted to there's no place really to park small planes a handful is all not like east hampton which has a huge tarmac and, and hangars and and that sort of thing so that's going to eliminate a lot of the you know the small recreational pilots um you know using the place as a base like east hampton does which you know for the long longest time and, and last year again was the bulk of the flights in and out of uh, in and out of that airport? Yes, it was built for for commuters, uh, you know, wealthy private plane owners from the city. But but really, most of the flights there have always been small recreational uh, recreational plane owners flying in and out. Mike, that's actually something I wanted to ask you, and I don't want to put you on the spot because obviously you don't have figures in front of you or anything. But this is something that that I've always tried to. I'd like to, to sort of nail down that the, the way the airport's been used over the years. So it started out as a way for people to use aircraft to get back and forth from the city to the East End, correct? I mean, that that's well, that's what it was created for. Yes. One trip. Pan Am chairman. Right. OK. So from the beginning, you had planes that were coming back and forth from the city, but it became a base of operations for a lot of local pilots to fly small aircraft out of. But right. at some point. I'm curious when the the bigger jets, when that traffic started to to show up and became a thing, and then when helicopters became a thing. Yeah, well, jet, jets jets and helicopters have always been there. You know what changed with helicopters is that it used to be you had to own a helicopter and you would fly your helicopter there, or you would charter a helicopter for you know four or five six thousand dollars for a flight from the city. So that's a fairly small group when when these commuter flights started coming and basically you know blade and, and and some of those other ones really what they're doing is they're uh crowdsourcing chartering a helicopter they're chartering a helicopter and finding six people seven people i don't know how many can fit on some of those helicopters sometimes it's only four or five but they're finding the people that'll split the cost and i i have a, and i i'm not super familiar with how exactly the ins and outs of their business works now but I have a feeling that they have started, you know, now working with companies in general where they're, you know, they're, they're paying over a broader span. So it's not just covering the cost of a single helicopter. 
they can just set a price for a ticket and know that they're going to sell this many and this many flights. And, you know, they can guarantee this number of flights are going to fly. And so therefore the owner of the helicopter can say, well, I don't have to, you know, charge as much of, you know, the cost that I paid for this helicopter into each ticket, because I know I'm going to get a lot more flights out of this so I can spread it out. So, you know, they've gotten it down. They've gotten it down so that you can buy a ticket from East from New York City to East Hampton for 750 bucks, which for a lot of people is, uh, you know, not even that much money. <laughs> but I guess my question, Mike, is when did when did the crowdsourcing of helicopters start and is that really when this issue became a this is when the the noise is it does it date to them it changed it changed the it changed the tenor of it and it's been you know like anything it's been gradual you know the helicopter thing had started in the early 2000s um you know 2004 5 6 7 the numbers of helicopter flights were going up and up and up People were making tons of money. The stock market was going bonkers and more people were just able to afford chartering a helicopter. Um, and you did have companies like Heliflight and those that were offering these sort of mixed bag charters, but it really wasn't quite that bad. Then 2008 happened. You had a couple of years where things, you know, dialed down a little bit uh, with the stock market being in turmoil. But then, you know, as that came back gangbusters in 2011, 12, you saw those number of helicopter flights going through the roof and you know blade came on the scene and really refined the uh the way that they split up those charters and arranged charters and it was more and more and more and you know the the number of helicopter flights um into that airport now are and i should have some stats in front of me but it's way more than double what it was 20 years ago and it's gone up every single year uh, since then obviously last year it was it was down 70, 80 percent, something like that. Just helicopters, because nobody was doing those those uh, uh, blade flights. Um, they still did. They still did sue seaplanes and blade, and, and other companies have shifted to seaplanes, which are not as loud. They don't, you know, you don't hear them coming from as far away. So the, you know, the time frame that your noise uh, people are being impacted is not as as much. And they're also they're more comfortable than a helicopter. They're much more spacious. And so Blade has said that they're trying to shift to that, but helicopters are still, uh, you know, still seen as the uh, as the main uh, driver of all of this. And of course, helicopter flights are going to be able to go to Montauk. And there's. You know, a lot of fear that you're going to see hundreds more um, if East Hampton Airport closed to commercial aircraft traffic, which is one of the conversations that they're having. They've talked about you can ban helicopters entirely, you can ban jets entirely, or you could just ban commercial flights, which would be, uh, you know, you could ban charter flights from coming there. How is Montauk regulated that airport? Um, are they, could they just say no helicopters on their own? They could, they, they could. Well, so it's a privately owned hel uh, airport. And so literally every flight that comes in there has to have permission to come in there and they have to speak to somebody ahead of time. Isn't that a way to regulate it right there? I mean, they don't. Well, there is, but only if you're the owner of the airport. So the, the private mm -hmm. owner can say yes or no. You could hope yeah. that they just say, well, no, we don't want an airport that has 10,000 more flights a year. 
Um, and they again, may want that. Right, exactly. And they may want that because they're charging a fee and they're making money from that. It might, you know, it would make, the, they've been trying to sell the airport for years. Um, they're asking a huge number. 18 million is the, is the most recent number wow. I think I've seen. Um, and so they, they, you know, they may think that, no, oh, yeah, that's more flights. And all of a sudden this is a, this is a more appealing uh, a marketable piece. So, you know, there's that. Nobody really knows. Uh, you know, the town has, uh, has been talking with them. But, you know, as a privately owned airport, there's, there's just not a lot that anybody, uh, anybody can really say for sure is going to be the case. Now, again, there's limitations. How, again, how many of those flights from the East River helicopter flights are going to be people that are willing to fly to Montauk. There's a lot of obviously very wealthy people living in Montauk these days. And the number of helicopter flights into Montauk has probably gone up because of that, because those people are already flying there by helicopter. It seems unlikely that they would be flying to East Hampton and then driving to Montauk. Yeah. But reverse that, you know, how many people that live in Sagaponic and Wainscott or Southampton uh, Bridgehampton are going to want to fly to Montauk then just to get in a car and drive an hour back the other direction you know there's there's just not a it's going to change it's going to change the demand uh, there and it's very hard to quantify that without asking people and they've done some surveys but it's a little you know uh, they're all a little hanky you know you don't really know until you see so there's a lot of spitballing and um you know, the town board's going to be left with, you know, some sort of vague impressions that they don't really know what's going to change. There's also all these other alternatives where, um, you know, the seaplanes could start landing in Shelter Island Sound and ferrying people, ferrying people to shore by, uh, by boat. Which That's what I was wondering. Mm -hmm. That raises complications because, you know, you can't just pull up on the beach and you can't pull a, pull a seaplane up to Long Wharf you're going to have to unload people from a plane onto a boat and then bring them ashore, which, you know, windy days, that, that's got all sorts of complications. Are they already using these seaplanes? And if so, yeah. where are they landing? No, they, are, they, they use the seaplanes. They take off from the river um, in the city and then they land, they just land on the runways at East Hampton Airport. Oh, okay. So they're not landing. They're not landing in the base. Seaplanes, they just have wheels that pop out of the pontoons. You don't have to fly water to water, but you do have that option. I remember there was a number of, a number of years ago, there was a, they were, I remember seaplanes landing like off of um, Eastville in Sag Harbor. Yeah. And that became a real controversy. So I don't know if that was banned or they changed yeah. the rules no. or anything. Yeah, I was going to ask what the rules are as far as seaplanes. I don't well East Hampton Town, East Hampton Town banned it in town waters, but that's not town waters, that's state waters in in uh Shelter Island Sound there. So there uh I, I you know I don't know what the limitation is. I don't think there is one. I know Southampton Town doesn't have uh doesn't have a limitation on seaplanes landing. Um you just don't see a lot of it. Uh, you know, they they stop you can't pull them up onto the beach. So again, the whole transferring of people is complicated. Now, these companies like Blade, they're very imaginative. They'll think of ways. There's, uh, you know, in Miami, one of the big hotels there has a floating helipad that they actually can push out into the into a government cut and land a helicopter on it. And everybody said, well, that's what they're going to do in Sag Harbor. Again, you know, that, that raises complications of, you know, the, the sort of folks that are flying out from the city with their Louis Vuitton luggage, are they going to want to transfer from a helicopter on a bobbing plastic dock and 
get into a boat. And, you know, I mean, it can be very windy in the afternoons in the summertime, southwest wind blowing in, in uh, Shelter Island Sound is not a, uh, you know, it's not a bathtub. So those are the kind of things, you know, there's seaplanes already landing in, in Fort Pond Bay in Montauk uh, and, and bringing people ashore there, um, you know, at Navy Beach. Um, not a lot, but some, I think there were a couple every Friday evening um, uh, over the summer. And there's, uh, you know, those are those are state waters areas where it's allowed. So I mean, there's a there's a lot of possibilities for how things could uh, could shake out if the airport was closed or those kind of flights were were pushed out. Jets, you know, if they just banned jets, which I don't know that I don't know that it sounds like anybody's got an appetite for that. They would just have to go to West Hampton, and then those people would helicopter probably to wherever the closest helicopter landing zone is. Presumably, it would be Meadow Lane in Southampton Village. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Cordoraro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. wondering if they completely eliminated helicopters from East Hampton and just that was it. Um, do you think that the, a lot of the complaints would go away? I just wonder how much complexity of the complaints are geared toward like the corporate jets and, and that sort of noise. A lot. And that yeah. A lot. I mean, you know, listen, the, the, the number of helicopters last year went down by, uh, I mean, overall, it was, I think, 65 or 70 percent. And the number of complaints, you know, it went down a little bit, but not, but not a ton. Um, part of the problem is that you have people are just hypersensitized to all aircraft noise now. And, you know, they're, they're probably driven to distraction by things now that 20 years ago, you'd have looked up and you'd been like, oh, a plane, you know, it's flying over. But now everything that flies over is, uh, you know, just rattles them because they're, they're, they're shell-shocked. I mean, the helicopter thing, for several years there was so bad so bad and then you know once the once this uh, exploration of the um uh of the grant assurances sort of you know became the light at the end of the tunnel and the town started talking serious about closing the airport you started seeing you know some serious efforts by the aviation community to try and tone things down and they have i mean you can't you can't say that they haven't tried they just haven't they haven't found the you know the real answer yet which is really going to be uh reducing the number of flights that are coming into that airport uh, particularly helicopters seaplanes to a certain extent probably uh, but uh, you know if you just got rid of helicopters i think it would it would make a big big difference yes there's always going to be some people that are going to be angered by the big jets uh, angered by the even the small you know turbopop planes um, but it, it would definitely change the tenor of things i think if, if you didn't if you went back to 
you know, a thousand helicopter flights a year instead of 6,000, 7,000, 8,000, 9,000, whatever it is now. And again, flights, that 9,000 flights. So that what they call an operation means a helicopter coming in and a helicopter going out. So it's, you know, the number of what we would consider flights is actually half of what the operations are, but it's a lot. Mike, let me ask you a question. One of the things that's floated around in the background of this conversation is that in the industry, a lot, a lot of the pro-industry folks say that electric helicopters are coming and that that may go a long way to address the noise and the pollution aspects of the helicopter traffic. Is that legit or are we 10 years out from that being an issue? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. You're, you're, it's a long way. They are going to start introducing those, you know, sound aviation, which is uh, one of the biggest charter companies that comes in and out of there. They only fly seaplanes. And uh, they say that they're going to have uh, start adding electric seaplanes to their fleet within the next couple of years. Um, you know, certainly, I mean, I think that'll help. The helicopter thing is still complicated because helicopters still create, you know, the, the noise from the blades cutting the air. So you can only quiet a helicopter just so much. Um, but they will be quieter. I mean, and listen, you take a combustion engine out of anything and it's going uh, to be quieter. Um, planes, you know, that, that is the future. I mean, that's where it's going. But like somebody pointed out in one of the recent discussions, uh, you know, still people are still taking orders for 60, $70 million private jets. So, you know, that plane has got a 25, 30 year lifespan on it. You know, the, 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 real, the real deal is not going anywhere. In, in the sort of time frame that the town, the East Hampton Town Board, has said this needs to be addressed. Well, and if my electric lawnmower is any indication, the technology might not quite be there yet. Yeah, it's, it's got right, exactly. I mean, this is, they're, they're talking, I mean, these planes are out there, you know, how development of this kind of stuff goes. I mean, it's, it, right, it's probably at least 10 or 15 years, I would think, before they're a competitive market for somebody considering buying an airplane or a right. helicopter, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, yeah. you know, you know if, if it if it becomes popular and there's a reason for it, obviously that'll speed it up. But you know that that that's pretty that's pretty serious technology that presumably is going to need to be gone over with a fine tooth comb by the FAA and, and NTSB and all that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I mean electric cars. Look yeah. where we are. Yeah. <laughs> How far? You know, we're, we're still just sort of scratching the surface. So given your given your your volume of experience covering the airport and your crystal ball, how do you think this is going to shake out in the next um, year? Oh, God, I don't I don't even want I don't even want to forecast it. I, I, it doesn't it doesn't sound from I mean, the town board members have been very careful in keeping their uh, cards close to their vest. Um, it, it doesn't sound like any of them i don't know at least at least the majority it doesn't sound like want to close the airport period airport gone um i haven't i haven't heard or, or seen any indication actually from any of them that they're very in favor of that um i think a couple would probably vote for that if it was on the table but i don't think the majority wants to eliminate the airport they want to um minimize the impacts and um 
it's, it seems like they're pretty dedicated to doing that. So they're, they're going to do, they're going to do something. What they decide is the, the proper path, um, is, uh, is very up in the air. And, you know, and I don't, I don't even know how, how final it has to be when they do it. It, it seems like with the FAA, this might be a one-time chance and you get to say, we're closing and reopening the airport and these are the new rules. And then those are the new rules forever and ever. And you can never do anything about it unless you're gonna close the airport again. Um, Mm. So, you know, we'll see. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cards on the, uh, on the table here and um, it'll be interesting. There's a lot of people, you know, exerting their influence. We've had these, these public charrettes the, uh, the last uh, couple of weeks that, uh, you know, a lot of it was predictable. It was, it was pro airport people making their point and the anti-airport people making their points about pollution and noise and, uh, when, when do you figure there's going to be some kind of resolution? Because I think everybody had this, this um, you know, September 25th date in mind. And, and maybe there's this thought that, right. you know, right after September 26th, okay, here's the solution. But they're going to keep talking about it for a long time. Yeah, right. There's a lot of people that think that at 5 p.m. on Saturday, you know, roll out <laughs> the spike strips, turn off the lights, airports closed, never to be done again we'll be building affordable housing on it by yeah. next year. That's not the case. It's not a, it's not a deadline. It's, it's simply an opening of the window. Um, the town board is nowhere near making a decision, but they're also not going to dawdle. They, whatever, the, whatever the new airport is going to be, it's going to be that by next summer, I'm pretty sure. It seems that, it seems that the, the, uh, the Peter Van Skoyak, the East Hamtown supervisor, and, uh, and uh, his the majority um, are, are intent on moving this forward, um, you know, deliberately, uh, deliberatively, but, but expeditiously. And I would think, um, and before the end of the year probably isn't unreasonable, early winter, possibly, depending on what hitches they run into. Um, Certainly after the election. Um, yeah, you know, oddly enough, the airport hasn't been this big election issue like it was back in 2015 when uh, when some of the helicopter charter companies uh, kind of tried to really align themselves against the uh, against Larry Cantwell and Kathy Burke Gonzalez and their uh, their administration which had started the, you know, back then was just uh, adopting the curfews and um, uh, the limitation on flights that ultimately were allowed to go into effect for two years, but then shot down by the court. Um, and, and so the, the helicopter companies dumped over half a million dollars, I think $600,000 or something like that into uh, uh, the campaigns of the Republican uh, town board candidates, thinking that though they would end the whole limitations on the airport conversation and they they still lost in a huge landslide um and so i mean it hasn't really been an issue in this in this election so i don't i don't know that they're gonna uh that they're gonna wait for that but i don't think they're gonna be ready by then anyway it's 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 a complicated conversation that they're kind of just you know knee deep in now um and so uh i i wouldn't expect it's until until december january somewhere in there. so mike one of the things i read in your story and I, I was wondering if you if this was accurate or you could explain it not that your story is not accurate but i mean there's somebody had said that if the airport's closed that it'll be like a wild west and that people can do whatever they want or something of that did i is that 
I, I just, there's a certain, I mean, there's a certain amount of that. Yeah. You know, right now the air, the airport is controlled airspace. There's oh, okay. a, there's a tower that controls flights. You have to check in with the tower to approach, uh, you know, it, it limits, it puts a ring on the map around the airport that, you know, you can't just fly over the airport if you're flying from, you know, Teterboro, New Jersey to Boston, uh, and that kind of thing. And so if, um, uh, if they ended that, it would, uh, it would change some of that, you know, the Wild West thing, you know, I don't know. I have a feeling that's a little more dramatic than it, than it probably would be. But also, I don't think, you know, that, that, I don't think they're closing the airport. Yeah. The airport's going to be there. The control tower's going to be right. there. The space is going to stay the same. Um, I think it's just going to be a different airport. And, you know, maybe maybe they'll do that as a uh, as a test and then say, if that doesn't work, we can still, we can always close it. You know, that's the thing. They're not, they're not taking FAA funds. Okay, yeah. um, you know, that was one of the things that the uh, Cantwell administration um, led mostly by Kathy Burke Gonzalez in, in 2014, 2015 did was, was they really made an effort to make the airport self-sustaining uh, financially and have done so. They, um, you know, they brought a lot of the leases for all those industrial properties on there um, up to market rates. And they've, uh, you know, the airport, They've, they've, they've not been saving, you know, they haven't been letting it crumble. They've spent over a million dollars on a new uh, fuel farm. They're, uh, you know, new fencing. They're, they just had a several hundred thousand dollar um, project. I can't remember what it is. I mean, you know, all the indications from the town board has been that, you know, they're, they're running that airport like it's going to be an airport for a long, long time. And, um, They've done a lot of uh, a lot of work there, and they're and they're paying for it without FAA funds. So you know, they're, they're once this grant assurances expire, it seems like they're going to kind of have you know control of it. You know, its future is going to be in there in the hands of you know whoever the elected officials in East Hampton Town are at any uh, at any given time. Um, and you know, that's that's going to be where that's sort of there's always going to be a lot of things on the table now. It seems. Is a potential uh, a potential situation. All right, so stay tuned. Watch the space. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot more. They just had the last of the public information meetings. Um, I think they've been presented with all the studies that they had hired consultants to do. They did uh, environmental studies. They did financial impact studies, and they did the diversion study. Um, I think that there is probably a lot of desire to see more work done on the diversion side of things, uh, probably talking to the passengers. I know they, they did some surveys again over the summer asking passengers, you know, what their appetite would be, what they would expect to do. Um, uh, you know, the CEO of Blade has been in these conversations all of a sudden. So they're clearly taking this uh, very seriously. I mean, I would think it's a, maybe the substantial part of their business. Um, and uh, you know, there's so there's there's a lot of talking to be done. Um, that you know, you would assume that the town board is going to be talking to them and say, well, you know, what are your options? You know, what what do you really think you can do? And uh, maybe they're talking to aviation uh, industry people too about the possibilities of you know floating helipads and all that kind of stuff. So there's a there's there's a there's a lot to be discussed still and figured out, and there's a lot on the shoulders of the five town board members that are going to make that decision, you know, whether it's the five that are 
listening to everything now, or it's going to be uh, you know a, a changed board after the election in uh, in November. We'll we'll see. It's gonna it's gonna be very interesting to watch from a journalistic standpoint, certainly. Mm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so you're basically predicting the one thing you're predicting is this will not be our last podcast on the airport. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> probably not. How many have we had now? Three and dude. two or three, two or three sessions events. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say we got that many ahead of us still. Yeah. All right. Well, we know we're going to be doing this winter. <laughs> Look, looking up. <clears throat> looking up. We're certainly not going to be looking down. We will not be on those flights. So. Do any do any of you live? Do any of you have flights that go over your houses that you know that's noticeable? I have to say, I mean, I live fairly close to the airport, but we're kind of fortunate in that we're sort of like northeast of the airport. Um, so we don't we don't get the helicopter. I mean, I'll, I'll hear big jets over sometimes, but um, yeah, I I can't say that I have a really bad yeah. Problem. The people that live just a little west of you, yeah, it's, it's different, right? But, but that's the thing too is is I mean, you always hear that that tired refrain. Well, if you didn't want to hear you know airplane noise, don't don't buy a house near an airport. But it's not people near the airport. It's it's yeah. it's stretched yeah. out. You know, really yeah, across. I the mean, Noyak. It's you know, it's yeah, it's people that live several miles downwind and. You know, as the as the routes have have changed, you've had new people that have seen a much different uh, impact all of a sudden come uh, come over their over their houses. Right. You know, it wasn't that way before. Also, if you if you bought a house in along the runways at JFK, then that argument works. I think if yeah. you bought near East Hampton Airport twenty years ago, eh, yeah. I don't know yeah. that you. I mean, I have to say. I've, I've been sitting in like a backyard of my friend's house in Sac Harbor, and I don't know what it is about where they are, but it almost, there must be like a, it's almost like a, a tunnel of, of maybe between two hills, but I've actually heard like, like jet engines sort of revving up and I, we're pretty, you're pretty far from the airport there. I, it's this weird sound pattern. Um, some spots where. Yeah, wind probably. Something. Wind probably has something to do with that too, which direction the wind is blowing. There's, there's funny little things that, that have the change here and there um, with the flight patterns that, that all of a sudden bring a new crowd of people into the, uh, into the realm of being really impacted by it. And listen, one of the things that everybody has been saying for years is that, uh, you know, it's, it's all uh, rich people flying in these helicopters. They should all fly up the damn ocean and then fly in over Georgia Capone, which would bring you over the fewest number of houses and is the shortest route over land right into the airport. And there's some logistical complications there. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, that, that would be the option. And then, of course, they say, oh, but those people on Georgia Capone are the ones with the political pull and are, are preventing that from happening. The pilots actually love that route. I was told recently by uh, by somebody in the aviation world, and um, uh, but it, you know the, the airport has some difficulties with that. It would need a taller tower. I think is one of the main things. They can only you can only leave that way right now because the tower can't see helicopters approaching from that direction over the trees. And it also creates problems because that's where the, you know, you would have to fly across the, what they call the base route that planes, small planes coming into the airport take where they fly past the airport and then turn and then turn again to come in and land. And that, you know, the help they would, those would be crossing with the helicopter. So you need, you would need the control tower being able to see and, uh, and regulate that. And they don't have that right now. There was a, there was a debate a few years ago 
um, where the where the manager of the control tower wanted they wanted to build a taller tower so that they could see over those trees and um, uh, so certain members of the town board shot that down because they thought that that would you know be an expansion of the airport and while the conversation was being had about closing it they said we shouldn't be expanding the airport so there's some debate as to whether that was expanding there there was a huge you know there's people on the airport management advisory committee that are among the noise affected and i've always been very anti-airport who said it just makes sense we should do this it's, it's a safety thing and it's not going to make it easier for any flights to come in but it, it fell on deaf ears so there's, you know, there's, there's other, there's other things that there's still a lot of things that can be done in that regard too. Uh, I have a feeling you'll be hearing about all of it. Yep. Very soon. And so will we. Go powder. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts. 